0: And here we are at the podcast. Mate, that's a new innovation for the program, <laughs> taking a photo as we start talking. Yes, yes, it's going like to be
1: it. loaded up. Uh, selfie, I am you know, quite famous for my selfies uh, yes. on social media these days, Tom.
0: Yes, I actually think you can take a screenshot of mm. your
1: selfie face.
0: Yes. And then just put that on top of all the different backgrounds that you are. Yes. Because you, you, you've got it down to a I'm fine art. I mastered half. it. Yes. It
1: catches my good side. The good side. Yeah. You know, the double chin. It's sort of hidden. You know, <laughs> I'm going to stretch the chin out. So yeah, look, uh, look lean and, uh, you know, yes. passable. Yes. We've
0: got a new format for the show moving forward, Rod. Yes. We've had, sort of been thinking about things. How mm. can we tweak it? We've got mm. some feedback from a few people. and so We're trying to reinvent the wheel, Tom. Exactly. The third wheel. Cam. Mm. There he is. Now, what we're going to do is uh, have weekly episodes moving forward. But slightly shorter, more compact yeah. episodes. So we're going to yeah. break up the format. We're going to have yep. a regular episode, yep, and we're going to have
1: and a feature episode. Okay, so regular you and I, lab coats, Bunsen burners, balls dots, deep, cross, nuts and guts,
0: all no, that all, kind all, of stuff, all the regular stuff that, yep. that uh, some of our listeners love. Yep, and we'll get our Dan Garner's, uh, and yep. our Luke Tullocks of the world to have their the little ongoing segments. Yes, excellent. So that will all happen, mm. and then. In between those regular shows, we'll have our feature show, which will just be the straight interview with our special guest. Okay, very yeah, good. Very yeah, good. And, and we've got some good guests lined up. We've yeah. got uh, in the coming month, we've got Dr.
1: Uh, Doctor Bob Rakowski. Yeah, he's yeah. coming on. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm uh, amidst, I'm, well, I'm balls deep, balls communicating, deep. communicating <laughs> yeah. with him. So, uh, so going back and forth. Hopefully, we'll uh, snare that one in the next week. We can uh, record the content for that. But yeah, very exciting. He's very keen to come on. Mm. Thanks, mm. Special thanks to Magdalena Lai uh, from Dubai. So, hopefully, uh, you know, we might make it over there at some stage on our world tour. Tom but you never know but thanks Absolutely. for that one so we'll get him we've got uh, Dr. Mike Isratel as well
0: yep he's lined up over the next month or so yep and then some uh, other really big names coming up also yeah. And so yeah very exciting new format so that's what we'll be doing moving forward we do have a website which is up and running now you can go very slick too to underthebarpodcast.com
1: Yeah, and uh, we've got the, we've got an official email now for the for the show for the do. program
0: Info at underthebarpodcast.com. Okay. So you can send through all of your emails and communicate
1: mm. via info at underthebarpodcast.com. Yep. And, uh, so just, just like old times, just uh, you know, uh, email in time, leave your credit card details, yes. and uh, we'll sort all the rest out. <laughs> Very good. Uh, we've got a big show coming up today, mate. Huge. Dan
0: Garner is back for recovery part three. Mm. And uh, this is where we go balls deep in terms of recovery. Yeah. Because this is recovery from physical activity
1: yeah well that's uh, significant for everyone listening I'm pretty sure
0: exactly so it's mm. all about the training you know it's, uh, he talks about the different sources of fatigue nervous yep. system glycogen mm. depletion mm. you know the various energy systems and yep. what to do about it all it's really yep. uh, eye dotting T crossing yep. note taking kind of stuff mm-hmm. from uh, Dan Garner so we'll talk to him Roy we've got a few listeners questions to go through yeah. um, we'll probably only get to one of them in all reality yeah. um, and we won't answer that no <laughs> we'll, we'll tiptoe around it yes. you
1: know, we'll polywaffle we can poly the with the best of them, Tom.
0: We absolutely can. Mm. Now, last week when we had Dr. Sonia Pedersen, naturopathic physician on the program, yeah. who was absolutely fascinating, and yeah. we've had some wonderful feedback from her. Uh, you brought up a little personal scenario about visceral <laughs> adiposity. I did. And uh, Sonia, what are you looking
1: at my stomach for when you say <laughs> that? Um, it's felt these days.
0: It's, it, it's much tighter mm, after a, a few weeks of uh, caloric restriction,
1: mate. It's been four bloody weeks. Four, four, weeks, uh, four weeks. No <laughs> ch- custard baths, but yeah.
0: But we thought we'd actually expand on. I mean, she had her theory as to what yeah. may have been causing the visceral fat that you're holding, mm. and I think that was a, a really valid interpretation of what might be going on, but we'll have yeah. a little bit of a, a deeper look at, I guess, a Roiding case study. Yeah. You know, warts and all, balls deep, yeah. as we do yeah. like to say here on the program. All
1: my warts and all.
0: And uh, we'll go through that. Now, we've got a new sponsor coming on board for the, the program, Rodin, which is Re- really... Yeah.
1: We're really moving forward into the 21st century, yeah, Tom. Yeah, our websites, sponsors. Mm, mm, it's mm. incredibly exciting New email stuff. address yeah, works.
0: So I won't give away too much just yet, but look, this particular product blends only the finest mm. all-natural ingredients. Our pure Celtic sea salt is hand harvested just off the coastline of France and combined with just the right amount of organic ginger and cinnamon to bring about the best balance and equilibrium that your body deserves. Look, Tom, Ah, I think
1: equilibrium is the word of the day. Absolutely. I think we should all try and use that in a sentence. (laughs) And uh, Well, I'm excited. We're going to talk about that a little later.
0: We'll talk about that a little later. We've got some products. Maybe some giveaways. Yeah, some product to give out to our our listeners. Mm. Uh, If you do have questions for us, we've got a new email address, info at underthebarpodcast.com. Info at underthebarpodcast.com check out the Dubois method on Facebook sure. and Instagram. Yep. Add to Rawdon's really impressive uh, follower to follow we uh, Instagram yep, ratio. Yep.
1: And hey, sent really a question about wanting to work with me and I'll ignore it for months. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. yes, I do.
0: Yeah, just to test how keen they really are. Yeah, yeah. really. Just make them jump through hoops. Weed out weed mm. out the fat. And weed out do, that visceral fat. Yes, yeah, mm. so you can find out more about me tomhewitt.com.au that's a
1: snappy website too, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Basic, but, but you know, functional.
0: It does the job. Uh, sign up for some monthly content: a training system Logs. of the month, client case studies, videos, kitchen powerpoints. Sink. Kitchen sink. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Balls deep on that one. Working away feverishly on that. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can. Uh, if he's not spinning an oversized wheel, he's uh, pushing the buttons. Yeah, that's exactly Wouldn't right. Wouldn't be here without him.
0: Now, uh, we have a listener question, but, mate, apparently you were training in the gym yesterday, Dan. Uh, unfortunately, I was training. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yep. At uh, Icon Performance Health, where, uh, well, it's, you know, we're, well, we're, It's the Mecca. That's the Mecca. Mecca yeah, on the north. That's the spiritual mm. home of mm. The, mm. the podcast. Finished training one of my clients, Josh. And yep. uh, you had a bit of a chat with him, and he's got something for me. He, he wouldn't tell me, the coach. No. But he was happy to no. tell you, so... Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I got it out of him. Okay. You know, I gave him that scowl, you know, the yes. you know, with old Tazzy when she's deadlifting. you <laughs> she don't like it when I, when I look over no. and I really judge her. Yes. Anyway. Learing. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Josh, uh, your client. I must say, before we... Uh, we, we Basically, it was... Yeah. Uh, uh, he uh, was on the on the, the point of having some sort of a diet break, a bit of a blowout, but he, he he managed to do something which wasn't quite as bad as what he could have chosen. But mm-hmm. but before I, I, I tell our listeners that, he is actually looking pretty jacked. He um yeah, yeah he's he's coming up well. Yes, he's, coming he's up well.
0: Look, he's put on um, a good three kilos of lean mass. So oh, Was that over
1: four years or something? <laughs> yeah. They're natural competitors, Tom. That's yes. all they can do.
0: Yes. Um, look, he'd had no real structure to his, no methodology behind his training. Yep. Been so trained
1: a, hard, but no, no structure. And, no
0: structure, no system. No matching of nutrition to what he was doing with his training. Right. So that's where the results have been good for him. Yep. So he's just been through a... I think it was a, a ten-week block of hypertrophy training yep. and a, in a caloric surplus. Yep. And he's probably breaking his diet now because <laughs> it's the first time he's actually had to deal with some calories being taken away yeah. from him. So we're he's going overseas to Europe, he's going to do a few consults with Wolfgang and oh, nice. a couple of other guys. He's a PT himself. Yep. So we're dieting him down into that trip, and you know, trying to retain the muscle yeah. that we that we awesome. we've, we've built. Yeah, well,
1: he looks uh, notably. um, Because I don't think I'd seen him for a little bit. So anyway, it was uh, a paint the picture. So I think he's. um, I think uh, I was talking about maybe that I was dieting and um, negative energy balance, and he was and he was saying that uh, that he confessed he was, and uh, but then for some reason we started talking about chocolate as men do. Yeah, we 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 all love chocolate. It's very manly to sit back on the couch, feed up, you know, blanking on the toes, toes. eating some chocolate. Yep. And, uh, and he said uh, his old man loves the chocolate, and he, I think he, you know every night he you know get Cadbury's and chomping away. So mm. a, a lot of temptation there for him. Uh, mm. uh, he's immersed in this world of temptation. So he uh, he, he threw this uh, little <laughs> treat together. I said, look, man, send me a PM on Facebook, and I'll um, our listeners do appreciate a bit of a bit of guidance with the nutrition. We don't do it often, but. You know, I think the last one we did was the custard bath, you know. Yes. I think quite a few listeners have tried that. Yes. You know, and uh, and put on some visceral adiposity since. <laughs> you know, so well done, guys. But this one, um, so here we go. It's a... Uh Peanut cream with a hint of sorbitol. So, basically, you have... Uh, that's what he calls it, okay? So, some sort of peanut cream. Peanut and, cream. And that's why my ears pricked up. What are you talking about, Josh, you know? <laughs> what have you created? So, anyway, you have... Uh, it's quite... Uh, you know, pen and paper ready. It's quite specific. Okay. It's almost like cooking class. Yes. Yeah. So, you have uh, 40 mils, which is a ridiculously small amount, but 40 mils of pure cream, mm-hmm. thickened... This is in brackets. Thickened with egg beta. So, okay. I think you're sort of... Yes. you fluff it up a bit you fluff it yeah. fluff it I think yeah. the a bowl on the side yes <laughs> yep. yeah. then one teaspoon of cinnamon okay yep maybe it's harvested on the, the, the shores of the France, France maybe yes you never know Celtic cinnamon yes anyway then you have uh, 30 oh no no sorry not 30 grams it's 32 grams oh yes of uh, macro peanut butter, whatever that is, but uh, some sort of natural brand of peanut butter, yeah. No yeah the macro, the yeah. uh, for guys in Australia, the workbench is a big yeah. big brand, the yep. big no added salt, no preservatives, just yeah, peanut so just, butter, just peanut butter, yeah. Yep. So, uh, 30, 32 grams, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then uh, 15 mils of Queen's maple flavored syrup. So, it's the artificially, you know, full of those lovely artificial sweeteners. Oh, uh, yes. So uh, some, some of the, the maple flavored syrup to sweeten it, uh, the thirty grams of peanut butter, the cinnamon and the, and the 40 mils of pure uh, cream yes, uh, thickened and then you, you beat it all up and uh, apparently that's some sort of dessert that he just sort of wow. chopped on. But you might be wondering how many calories and the, the yes. macro background, Tom. So yes, he actually gave me that as well. Okay. So 347 cows. Okay. Pretty hefty. That's it's reasonably isn't? hefty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's that, that's the cream and the peanut butter, but uh, 10 grams of protein. Not yeah. too bad. Yeah. Eleven grams of carbs. And yes, th- and a whopping thirty grams of fat. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you know, not a look. I mean, the the cream is you know usually well tolerated, uh, even for those that that do suffer from lactose. So, yep. uh, the cinnamon great, uh, going to help with uh, nutrient partitioning, insulin sensitivity a little there, and of course the quality fats in the peanut butter. Okay, a little bit of artificial sweetener there, but not a bad little treat. Not a bad little mix. Look, I'd swap the maple-flavored
0: syrup for just a genuine Canadian pure maple. Yep. Yep. Yeah, nice. Harvested off the coast of France. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, <laughs> yes. Organic maple from uh, from France. Uh, but yeah, not a bad... Like, if, if I get the opportunity, I might knock that up. Yes. <laughs> Maybe bit, slightly bigger uh, proportions, more like 400 <laughs> mils of cream and a tub of peanut butter and a litre of maple syrup, you know, and, and probably some plump raisins thrown <laughs> in there for the mix all, oh, but... But it sounds pretty good, and uh, you know, if you if you are going to indulge in something off plan, uh, and not tell your coach, make sure you tell your coach's colleague that he works with, so yes. then we can tell everyone what you've done. <laughs> but um, sorry about that, Josh. Uh, uh but yeah, that's okay. uh, that's a little treat. Not bad. I will, I might try that myself. Mm, yeah, mm.
0: very very good. Righto, Josh. We'll uh, discuss that at uh, your next pinch. <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: yes. Really, really get hard on the on the calipers there.
0: Mate. Okay. Here's another one. This is from uh, well wants to remain anonymous. Yep. So we won't read out the name. Mister Mr. X, Mrs X, Miss. Ms. 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 X. Unmarried X. Yes. Um, hey guys, mm. I would love if you could answer a question on your podcast for me. I have mm. a client who is sub 10% and has been for years. Oh, great. She great doesn't it. see the problem with staying this low body fat, even though clearly she is always cold, her skin is bad, she doesn't heal from cuts and bruises well, her hair is lank. She loves doing high-intensity training as she gets an adrenaline rush from it, which is the last thing she needs, and a dopamine high. Mm. I'm really struggling to pull her back and need some concrete evidence to back it up. Well, if you're after concrete evidence, (laughs) you've come to the wrong place. Hold on, Tom. Yeah,
1: let's just put the lab coats on. (laughs) Haven't been
0: on for a while. Okay. So my questions are, Mm. what are the short and long-term implications for a female to stay at very low body fat percentage for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. say months or years. Two, I would be interested to know the difference between say under 10% and then under 15%. Mm. I have found it hard to find concrete evidence on what damage this does to female hormones, both for short and long-term health. Mm. So if you could shed any light, that would be much appreciated. Also, how do you explain that the higher she gets from high intensity training is a false high and not actually what her body needs, if that mm. makes sense. Please mm. keep me anonymous. Thank you. Mm. Okay, well, that's uh, an interesting scenario. There's a lot of detail there. Look, there's a lot of detail there, and yeah. if we're actually going to be serious about it for a moment, if yeah. we can manage to do so... Yeah, okay. I'm, we, seri- I'm serious <laughs> <face on. Go. laughs> we probably need a bit more information to really... Mm. Because on the surface, it might not necessarily be... The body fat percentage that is the issue with the, the bad skin and not healing and sure. and always cold and, and these sorts of things. Some people yeah. just genetically can sit at lower levels of body fat sure. than other people. And yep. even an individual's required body fat can change throughout the course of their life yep. with age and the lifestyle factors and yep. whatever else. I would agree. There is a, an essential amount of body fat that we need. I think for men, it's somewhere between 3 to 5%. For women, it's somewhere between 12 to 15 uh, and this is the the body fat required to sustain organ function and whatever else. Yep. So the calipers don't measure that. I'm assuming that Miss Anonymous is yeah. measuring on calipers. So yep. 10% is pretty lean on the calipers. Mm, That's or fine. Sub-ten. So it might not necessarily be a, a body fat issue, but it sounds more like maybe it could be a nutrient absorption issue if the nails are bad and the skin's bad and the sure. hairs the, the hairs link it. It might not be necessarily that the body fat's too low to sustain those things but the body doesn't sense that there's enough actual nutrition Mm. or not absorbing enough nutrients from what's Mm. going on to actually keep all those functions healthy it'd be interesting to know if she has a menstrual cycle as well because that's always you know that's a telltale sign basically if there is a If the body senses that there's not enough stored energy or not enough energy coming in through nutrition to support the growth of another human inside you, it sends a message to the pituitary gland to shut down hormone production for the ovaries and various other bits and pieces. So so that could be going on. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, lab coat on with that one.
1: Yeah, hypothalamus pituitary.
0: Mm -mm -mm. So um, no one wants to hear you're too lean. Mm. So you you might be trying to take a different angle with her. And rather than say you need to put on body fat to be healthier, Mm. uh, you need to get more nutrition or more nutrient absorption and maybe look at digestion and, and, you know, maybe some multivitamin supplementation and things.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, for her, it sounds like what a a competitor might end up like. But I think you're... I know the individual that... uh, Let's just say Mrs. X. I know the, the other individual... Mr. X times... Mrs. X times two. Oh, okay. So, I actually know both of the, 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 the people involved. I and, see. And she, she, she is uh, the classically uh, very slight, fine-boned, uh, just a really small, skinny... Yeah. Uh, s- skinny girl. Like, she would naturally be... Uh, she doesn't necessarily, uh, I think, um, have to do much to exist in that state. You yep. know what I mean? Um, you know, re- extreme ectomorph. You know, really, really slight, fine-boned. Um. So, yeah, I I would certainly agree with you. Uh, Obviously, like you said, telling her that she needs to put fat on, I mean, no one's going to deliberately put fat on, you know, usually. It just doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Um, I'd be angling more at changing body composition. I would find out what her goals were and if it was, I mean, there has to be some fundamental goal in the gym. Now, obviously, if it's muscle-focused, then I would explain that, uh, you know, being in in an isocaloric or... you know, hypercaloric state makes it very hard to uh, add muscle uh, on. So, classically speaking, the body, sh- uh, ideally in a perfect world, needs to be in a positive energy balance or a hypercaloric uh, state. So, I'd angle that and then uh, take draw her attention away from the the actual body composition and. Um, and focus on building muscle and then you know then subtly over time the body fat will increase because she's in a, in a surplus and then hormonally or physiologically she's going to be in a better place but you know I, I agree that it's not necessarily her her default or her baseline body fat percent that that, that is is the issue here unless she's severely caloric restriction which mm. I, I don't think she is um or there's fundamentally some, like you said, some uh, absorption issues or gut-related issues or, or something like that, that are stopping her from um, assimilating all the, 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 you know, the, the macro-micronutrients that she's actually consuming. So um, I don't necessarily think that she's in a negative place by. Um, Having low body fat. Having low body fat, yeah. Yeah. And and unless, of course, she's disregarding what uh, Mrs. X is saying and then, you know, deliberately not choosing to eat either baseline caloric intake, uh, isocaloric intake, or hypercaloric intake to either add muscle or maintain what she has if she's always in a negative energy balance or always doing excessive amounts of cardio. Uh, or interval training, just lots of training in general to try and keep, you know, really lean and really small. Then that's a, uh, that might be what she's actually talking about, and mm. maybe maybe there is a little more um, behind the scenes that she's, uh, you know, she's not compliant with the nutritional guidance that she's getting. Or she's doing those extra training sessions, or it's hard to stop her doing all those interval sessions because yes. she gets the high. Because she enjoys them, yeah. And we know that the high, you know, you know that yourself. I think uh, uh, the great Stefan Yanev. As a throwout to him, I remember him constantly referencing the the um, the catecholamine production, the mm. epinephrine, norepinephrine, adrenaline, noradrenaline that we that we uh, uh, increase when we do the uh, hit type training. Obviously, resistance training is the, is a type of interval training as well, and and that's the high that you get but I would maybe tell her that that's actually the high she's getting and she can actually get that from the weight training uh, itself. And, um, and I don't think necessarily the, the intervals are, are a bad thing anyway. I mean, there's, there's great cardiovascular benefit. The, the epoch that you create after the interval session is fantastic for the cardiovascular system. Uh, and I think some sort of cardio all throughout the year is probably a good thing for most people. Yeah. Uh, but again, if it's uh, chewing into her energy uh, intake and then compromising what could be um, getting her closer towards her goals, which we don't actually know what her, her goals are, so yeah. that would be the, the, the place that I'd start, then the intervals obviously might not be a great idea and um, she's yes. expending, expending way, way too mm. much energy. Mm. But also looking at sleep and, 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 and all the other big players, her, her stress. Maybe, you know, she's doing all this training and she's highly stressed um, as well. So, yep. I mean, there's a ton of things that could be at play here. So, um, that's an interesting one. Maybe we'll get a little, uh, as I said, I know Miss X. Maybe we we'll could find we'll out how an she's update. going. Yep. Uh, over time, but I think uh, we successfully didn't answer anything. And, uh, if you'd, if you'd like to uh, send in a question for us to uh, ignore and, and not <laughs> well, we answer. We need more detail. We need, a, we need a lot more, you know, what yeah. the calories are at, you know, what her baseline is, you know, what her training's doing, what's her training history, is there eating disorders? I mean, there's tons of things blood chemistry, blah, blah, sleep. blah blahs. I yes. mean, there's you can go infinite
0: blah, blah, blah Exactly. Uh, but send us an email through to info, info at, at com under the bar podcast with tom and rawdon rawdon wouldn't it be a, a delight if if that was your problem you were, you were too lean too had, shredded had to put on Mate. some visceral adiposity
1: <laughs> well you know i've been there and done that <laughs> I've, i'm teetering on the edge of, of going uh, balls deep as we say on the podcast i'm, I'm trying to do this uh, because, okay, for our listeners, you know, if anyone that's been listening to us for a little while, we've probably done a couple of um, fat loss phases since we've been doing Yeah. Uh, since the... I think we've probably gone through two. Yes. One really aggressive one last year. Yep. And then one prior to that, I think, when I was working with Shelby Stones, yep. I think.
0: So, for the listener, when mm. Rawdon Programs fat loss for his clients. They'll be in a surplus, of, a surplus mm. of calories, mm. yep. and uh, they'll slowly, m- methodically be taken down. Mm. So the body doesn't even really sense that it's mm. in a in mm. a deficit, and it just eats yes. away fat steadily and methodically, mm. Mm. retains all this muscle mass, uh-huh. and everything's great. Yeah. Now, when Rawdon personally goes on a fat yes. loss <laughs> fat loss journey. <laughs> Everything stops. Okay. Everything. I'm going to cut out carbs. Yep. I'm going to put myself in keto. Uh-huh. I'm going to do intermittent fasting. Yep. I'm going to do two hours of AMP PM cardio. Yep. And work. Take some Yimbi <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and
1: whatever else I can get my hands on. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever else is in the cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to know what's in the cupboard, Tom. There's all sorts <laughs> of things up there. There are. I've actually got this, uh, funnily enough, I've got this tub of uh, uh, pure caffeine I got off uh, Amazon. It's this, uh, but my God, if you had a teaspoon of that in uh, ass. I'll put some creatine into this uh, into this shake. Imagine that a teaspoon, like thirty grams of caffeine oh, wow. in one go. That's quite dangerous, man. Yeah. Well, yes. it was actually um, before we talk about me, there was actually a client I was working with in the UK. I think I might have mentioned it on the program, and he uh, instead of uh, uh, he look, I did not write grams; it was milligrams, and he had. I think it was, uh, so I told him to have uh, two to three hundred milligrams of caffeine pre-training and he ended up having, I think it was 30 grams, they were like gram tablets or he had 30 of them or something and he ended up in hospital for multiple days because they couldn't couldn't just slow his heart down. They couldn't get his heart rate down. So, yeah, be warned. Don't go into my cupboard is basically the take home message here and do not help yourself to supplements. Absolutely. Okay.
0: So on last week's episode, Roden, we were talking to Dr. Sonia Pedersen. Yep. And uh, you had mentioned you gone and previously got a DEXA, mm. and the visceral fat was up. So why visceral don't we, adiposity. So why don't we just give the the backstory for the listener to explain the scenario? Yeah. And then we'll look at what you're attempting to do moving forward. Sure,
1: sure. Okay. So from me personally, I was uh, I just felt, uh, to be honest, it did feel like I had excessive visceral fat. Everyone knows me, you know, my legs and arms are quite uh, quite lean. Yes. Um, so I just felt like it really sort of full all the time when I, after I'd eaten. So it was a, a conundrum where do I have some sort of uh, uh, issue with the with the food that I'm eating? Yep. I mean, I, I am sort of cautious with the, with the gluten, and the dairy, and the whey and all that type of stuff. Um, or am I just fat? Yep. You know. So that was the. Uh, so I was hoping that it was some sort of food uh, related <laughs> issue. Well, it obviously was. Yes. As too it turns much out, it. too much of it. But um, anyway, so I went and got the DEXA scan, and, and it came back at 15%, 12 to 18 on DEXA. And they said, that's fine, 15 is good. But they said, uh, according to this reading, and it is, you know, it's not an exact science, the DEXA scan. I mean, I spoke to groundskeeper Willie about this, and um, he actually explained what was originally designed for a bone density. So they weren't actually designed to measure body fat, but then they worked out that they could work it out. So um, the rest is history, but um, so it's not an exact science. Okay. So we're taking this at face value. Yep. Visceral fat uh, in the uh, you should be a little concerned about it. The age of uh, you know mid, early to mid thirties with excessive <laughs> visceral. Uh, what are you laughing for? <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that, and that and that's where that's where I stand right now. So, okay. So um, I guess when we had Sonia Pedersen on, she was talking about excessive uh, caloric energy restriction, doing essentially uh, preparation for shows, um, that type of scenario where you do get the body fat levels extremely low and if you keep pushing to get the the finite detail that you need uh, with low body fat everywhere, then obviously visceral fat would also be reduced. Yes. I and mean, it makes sense that Absolutely. that has to come down as well. Yep. Obviously, I mean, when we talk, you spoke about essential 3 to 5% for men. And uh, 12 or what it was for female. I mean, they're, they're talking about that. Uh, in sort of, around the organs yeah. and the reproductive system and all that kind for of stuff. For sure. Yep. And that's generally, um, to a certain point, that would obviously be the last place uh, it goes. And, you know, the lower back is... is you, you'll see guys hold a fat lower back for, um, you know, right to the end. And if you think about it, that's where the kidneys are, yes. a bit of padding there. So, um um, You know, genetically, you're predisposed to holding on fat there for the longest. So, anyway, long story short yo yo dieting, doing comps 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, and then since then, a couple years off. And then I did some cutting uh, Shelby 2012 13 last year again, down to I think I got to about six, six, just over six on the DEXA scan. So, obviously, that's very lean for our listeners, but. Um, that could be contributing to the scenario of hey okay um you're going to keep doing this that's fine as soon as you're out of this energy restricted state i'm going to put uh, super compensate by putting tons of fat around my visceral organs and um you know to make sure uh, i have enough uh, cushioning like you said energy uh, for a rainy day yes. you know and um and that's, the, that's what we hypothesized or threw around. that mm. maybe the, the yo-yo dieting, which essentially most of us do these days, or a lot of, <laughs> a lot of my clients, they'll do. Mm. Sorry, guys, if I'm building your visceral fat. But I do say to, uh, obviously, post-competition, uh, hypersensitive, they really do have to be vigilant with their energy intake. And uh, obviously, some we spoke about earlier in the program, some uh, with the Listener X, obviously some uh, energy surplus has to be there for the body to... Um, add additional muscle so it's obviously a good thing being an energy surplus but not an excessive energy surplus mm. uh, not an excessive energy surplus combined with no training because you just come out of a comp yeah probably the worst scenario you could possibly, possibly think of in. yeah you know with the downregulated metabolic rate a little as well it take a, a couple of weeks to build back up so um that's what i i thought might have been the uh the issue mm, there. Is yeah. this um you know, you, you, you're you changing the way that the, the body uh, stores body fat, essentially. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, And well, that was what Sonia was alluding to, is that yeah. the, you know, the body doesn't forget the yeah. starvation that you put it through. Yeah, starvation, a, essentially. You know, this is a, a mechanism to cope with this in the future. The, the interesting thing, Broaden, is that there's very little concrete explanation as to what really causes visceral fat to be stored. Mm. Is that just a genetic predisposition, that's where... You for whatever reason, whether you did, did the comps or not, hmm. first place on maybe it's visceral fat. Who knows? There's some studies they've done on you know refined carbohydrates versus whole grains, yep. and in that study group, the refined carbohydrate group had more visceral fat okay. than the whole grains. You know they they link trans fats and alcohol. Yeah. To visceral fat. Yep, yep, yep. One of all the, the big players. All the, yeah. One of the mechanisms there is that if the the liver function is impaired, then it's harder to metabolize fats and it stores it around the organs. But there's yep. no no one can really say. As far as I've looked around, I've asked I've asked uh, our resident uh, doctor, uh, mm. my cousin Vinny. Yep. Um, no one really knows why you would store more fat around your organs than another place. Mm. Mm. But certainly, what Sonia was saying about uh, you know your mm. You, and it will be you made the point i think in the in the interview it will be interesting to see with this explosion of uh, stage competitors these yeah. days is the next generation or as we get uh, as we age more yeah. uh, more and more of our peers going to have higher levels of visceral fat yeah. because they've been through you know these significant periods of starvation yeah yeah exactly it, it's very
1: intriguing and it's, and it's worth uh, i actually spoke to um to Dr. Israel, uh, Mike Isratal and he actually has agreed to come on the program. Good. We uh, he did actually talk about um, that uh, performance enhancing uh, supplementation. Yep. Actually, uh, although it uh, re- reduces, because um, we we're talking about the distention of. Um, uh, of ifbb pros you know yep. the things i mean the the abdominals and muscles like anything else uh, you take a lot of uh, growth promoting uh, supplements anabolic steroids growth hormone igf1 obviously the abdominals are not going to be uh, uh, subject to to growth and the internal organs stuff like that so that's a uh, a contributing factor but but he also suggested that um and that's how we were, we were talking about it he also suggested that uh the uh, PED supplementation keeps this uh, subcutaneous body fat level super low. So you're going to see the abdominals, the vascularity, everything else look shredded. But then you have this uh, monumental distension through the midsection. And one of the reasons, combined with all the others, could be because this uh, uh, visceral fat is, is, is ridiculously high. Because... Um, Using the supplementation changes the way the body stores body fat. And uh, he seems to think um, that there is a relationship between uh, long-term anabolic steroid use. So he's talking about the older generation that that use anabolics. Then they're in their 40s and and they're they're dropping dead of heart attack and cardiovascular disease. Um, And one of the key uh, factors is this this excessive visceral Visceral fat fat. that... um, You know the using PEDs uh, change the way you, you store your body fat because um, it would make sense if uh, um, if when you eat excessive calories you don't store subcutaneous where are you going to store it? Where are you going to store it? Excessive energy is excessive energy. Yes. So for some reason it uh, and then I also spoke. Our uh, listeners will know that I talked to Dr. Scally who's uh, I consult with uh, weekly. With, with client issues and um, you know, blood chemistry, uh, all sorts of things. But he, uh, he actually uh, said he, he was interested. He said he hadn't actually looked into that side of things. So he's actually having a, a dig around, see if there is any uh, research out there mm. um, to suggest that, that using um, uh, PEDs long-term increases uh, visceral uh, adiposity. Uh, aside from just aging, I mean, the, at the scan yeah. place... The guy actually did explain. Look, you're you're uh, nearing you know late thirties, <laughs> so um, these things uh, you know it's 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 uh, typical. He sees it all the time. Uh, guys in their forties starting to uh, body fat distribution change, and you see this. You know, you see guys they yes. they got their lean legs and lean arms and this little pot belly just, yeah. just boom, and we all know. You know, in the media, it's we all know about this visceral fat. We all know it's really bad, and you know uh, that's the incentive for uh, uh, aging males to actually train and be healthy and eat well, mm. because the the for a lot of them, the bulk of the fat they put on is visceral fat. So yes. I think it's a it's an age related issue as well. As well, um, okay. You know, it's surprising that it's affecting me because it's <laughs> age related. In you know, in my thirties, it's uh, it's come on early. Yes,
0: you know. So now, I guess we look at what you can actually do to um, to. Recognize <laughs> (laughs) the situation because essentially um, whilst it it may be the place that you store your fat first uh, visceral fat by nature is quite uh, easily mobilized like it should be able to think so you think so it should be able to be reduced with caloric restriction and and, or or, you know negative energy balance however you want to put it and um, approach that the way that you would approach any fat loss situation so Will uh, monitor your progress. You, yep. You're going to be trying to be a little bit more methodical than you
1: usually are, and yeah, I've been uh, like it, it, same as the competitor. I haven't had any any cheat meals for coming five weeks now, so no cheat meals. It's all been on plan. Yep. Uh, I did go aggressively like you described, and then I eased back a little. So I got some fat off initially. Had some great results on the Dexa and then um, eased up a little, put some uh, calories back in but still in a negative energy balance yep. because I, I, I made the fatal error of not giving too much uh, worry about maintaining muscle and just trying to get the fat off. Whereas yep. this time around, I want to do a little bit slower, try and uh, maintain as much muscle as I can and, and just slowly peel off. There's no rush for me. Um, so that's uh, and then you see me week to week and, and I think I saw you yesterday for uh, I think it had been a week since I'd seen you and you said I was looking leaner again yep so yeah it's, it's, it's a process and it's happening um, hmm. feeling good and like it's I,
0: a you know now it's a bit of a different motivation mate it's a, yeah. it's a this is a, a lifestyle goal I
1: thought you say life or death
0: situation <laughs> no and, not quite and, uh, but um, in inverted commas death yes death it's not a photo shooting not getting on stage no. this is uh, you know well, now, that, now that you're in your early 30s mm, uh, mm, mm. Uh, looking towards uh, longer term health yeah mm. yeah,
1: exactly which are uh, some of our listeners are so food for thought there we'll keep you posted but um, very interesting um, uh, Dexa result that's for sure mm, mm, mm. visceral adiposity
0: mm. <laughs> under the bar podcast with Rawdon and Tom Check out Rawdon at the Dubois Method, Method. Instagram and Facebook. Mm. Check out me tomhewitt.com.au. au.
1: Check out Cam if you like to just just look for Cam on Facebook. Yes, you'll see him. The you'll rock find star. Him.
0: You'll find him. Yep. Now Rawdon, our our new sponsor on board of the program. Yeah. Uh, True Celtic. Yep. This is really exciting. Mm. Basically, I think it might have been back in episode two or four or something. We Way spoke, back
1: at years ago, we, Tom. We spoke
0: about starting the day with the pink Himalayan rock salt, yep. some lime, and some warm water. Uh, Uncle Charles, CP, yep. he's yep. Uh, espoused the benefits of yep. this for a long period a of time. I think have, but yeah, he certainly has. Yep. yep. Uh, we've been using it with our clients for... Yeah a long period of time essentially the
1: well you personally I of course don't no, but you personally do it
0: yeah I've been doing it every day for mm. many many years and one
1: would argue you, you know you look a little healthier than me but <laughs> you know
0: but essentially with the soul uh, you know the, the theory is that you're yep. nurturing the adrenal glands because mm. um, that adrenal stage uh, what <laughs> adrenal fatigue Tom <laughs> very serious but what it really does do is it, uh, it starts the day yeah that's, it, that's gets the, it gets exactly. the wheels in motion you get yep. up first thing out of bed in the morning mm. you stumble out into the kitchen yep like a drunken sailor. Mm. Kettle goes on. Yep. You get the salt into the yep. cup, crush the lime, maybe chuck a it's bit a pro-
1: of... Like, and you probably knock over the, 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 yeah. the salt shake, falls on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Lemons everywhere. Yeah, little, little salt kernels everywhere. Mm. They get mm. stuck under your feet. There must be an easier
0: way, Tom. has to be. Mm. has to be. Well, let alone if you want to put some fresh ginger and mm. cinnamon in there as well.
1: And if you want them to come from the... The, <laughs> the, the, coast, of uh, the coast of France. The of France, know. So
0: basically what we've got is an actual a product. All in one. Celtic Sea Salt. It's got mm. uh, organic ginger and cinnamon in there as well. It comes in a beautiful little brown bag. It does. With a, with a perfectly designed Very discreet little, brown bag. little scooping scooper. Yep. And you take out a little three or five gram serve, yep. whack that in, squeeze your lime, warm water, and you've
1: got the perfect start to your day. Beautiful. So it's sort of everything that uh, what we've covered in earlier episodes, what we do with our clientele uh, you can just one easy true Celtic little bag spoon lemon juice, good to go. Good to go, and and
0: the day is off and running. Adherence to the plan thereafter yep. is always, always much, much better.
1: And there's also uh, arguably some uh, significant health benefits by by using these first thing in the morning as yeah. well. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the adrenal glands detoxification, all yeah. that kind of stuff. All, so all, all the good things. Um, that's fantastic.
0: So uh, Sean Cooper, Sean
1: Cooper's Sabido supplements. Yep. So I what's um, so
0: and, uh, uh, Sean has. Agreed to um, give away some uh, true Celtic on the program yep he's, he's going to pay for the shipping anywhere in the world yep so for our listeners Siberia in, in Q8 mm. uh, we and, will, we, and we do have some there's on. a little cult following over there well, oh, there is? might even be a couple in Namibia yep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he's prepared to send those out anywhere in the world yep Okay, how do, how do, I want what? one.
1: Yeah, I one. I'm going to I'm going to enter. What
0: what do I have to do Tom? Okay, so to win your True Celtic we'll give away how many we give away a show? Two. Two, yeah. two. Okay. Two? two away a show. Yep. Uh, for the, the top two reviews on iTunes. So basically, you go to our iTunes page, yep. go there, leave yourself a review. Something like this one. We had uh, this is a review left by Connor and Tom, mm. not me. Oh, but, really? But another, uh yes, under the bar. When I first hear that intro, it gets me as excited as someone overdoing the Yahimbi. There is nothing better than getting away from the cortisol-inducing day, Uh sipping on some Amine arrows from a Schaus-approved drink bottle, Mm. listening to Tom and some creamy voice speak about the howls of getting results from both science and in-the-trenches experience. Love the insights from the likes of Christian Tippy Toes, the Mountain Dogs and the Garners of the World. All in all a great podcast. Uh, and one we're probably a little too obsessed with. Yeah. So Look, I mean
1: that, that's on the lengthy side, you know. Like he's really <laughs> milking that true Celtic, <laughs> and we're going to give him one. We'll give one. So oh yeah, he's getting
0: one. So Connor and Tom, if you actually want to, because what you do. Yeah. You go to iTunes, uh-huh. you leave your review, yep. get a screenshot of the review, ah, the screenshot. and then send an email through to info at underthebarpodcast.com yep. with your address details, yep. and we will pick the best two reviews yep. and send you out your true Celtic. So to Connor and Tom, if you guys want to send through your details, yep. you can get first cab off the rank. Yeah. You, you, you'll be sipping away at... France's yeah. finest. You'll feel like you're in France ex- you, you will. It'll be like a holiday. Yes. Yeah, so after you've done that, you can have your bagels and some mm. uh, and some baguettes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> French stick. Yeah. French. Beautiful.
0: So that's the plan. Okay. Uh, go to uh, Under the Bar iTunes. Leave your review. Take a screenshot. Send the that through with your details to info mm. at underthebarpodcast.com Easy, mate. <laughs> On performance health podcast with Rawdon and, and mm. Tom and Dan Garner, strength coach and nutrition specialist, joins us again. And this is yep. the one we've been, you know, look, it's all very well yeah. to, uh, to, to get your sleep and it's good to have some various uh, indicators of what's mm. going on in recovery. Mm. But uh, and what about the gains? What about yeah. the body composition? That's what yes. we're about here. So on this segment, as we mentioned at the top of the program, we're looking at recovery from mm. physical activity and yep. uh, And this one should be uh, really fascinating. Once again, notepad and pen handy. Mm-hmm, Dan, mm-hmm. welcome back to the podcast mate.
2: Happy to be here.
0: Okay, Doing good. You've mentioned before. We know that the gym creates the stimulus mm. and thereafter we we have the recovery. Mm-hmm. So what in terms of the the strength training individual, what sort of physiological processes are actually going on when we recover and and mm. why is that so critical?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can we can finally start getting to training right now. Yes, um, you know, you know, I'm a man of the people. Guys. Yes, you <laughs> are. <laughs> yes, we, we have to discuss what's important first. Mm, so mm, I wanted yeah. to give them an introduction to recovery, talk about what it is, and then give them tools to measure it because if you don't know what you're measuring, mm. then these strategies aren't very useful to you. Mm, okay. So I wanted to talk about that first, and then when it comes to the king of recovery, it was sleep. Yeah. So we needed to cover the measurement of what we're actually doing, and then sleep was the kings so we had to discuss that first but mm-hmm. now we can talk about cool things like creatine and carbs and yep, lactic yep. acid and all these kinds of things so yeah. the actual recovery from physical activity um a line that i really like to use with my clients and with my athletes is pre-workout nutrition starts when the last workout ends yes. I like that. But yes yeah when when you there pre-workout nutrition although there are things that you can do immediately before training to increase the training quality and therefore stimulus that you create in the gym. Pre-workout nutrition does start when the last workout ends because that, the quality of your next workout depends on how well or how not well you recovered from your previous workout. So when we're talking about recovery strategies and nutritional strategies from the day before, We talk about things about resistance training, the physiological processes that occur that we can optimize. So when we resistance train or we do intense conditioning, we'll do this as well. We increase three major things that we can capitalize on for optimal recovery. Resistance training increases glycogen synthase. So this is an enzyme that the body needs in order to convert glucose, which is just dietary carbohydrates, into stored glycogen into the muscle cell. So we're storing energy that's gonna be used, the energy system specific demand that's gonna be used in athletics and in the gym. So okay. the resistance training increases the upregulation of this enzyme so that we're taking more advantage of the carbohydrates that we're taking in and depositing them in the muscle cell as opposed to the fat cell. Okay. And The second thing that resistance training does is it enhances our insulin sensitivity. So this is a term that a lot of people are already uh, comfortable with and understand. And we talked about it actually, its effects in sleep in the last one, but insulin sensitivity after a good resistance training is elevated for about four to six hours. So within that period, we really want to take advantage of getting our carbohydrates in and optimizing our nutrient timing so that we can do. Two big things for maximal glycogen replenishment after exercise and therefore a greater recovery. Okay. And the last thing that resistance training does physiologically, or hard conditioning does physiologically, is GLUT4 translocation. So that will make you sound really smart at a party, but it's really easy to understand. Mm. Uh, GLUT4 simply just stands for glucose transporter four. Real easy. So it's, there's a glucose transporter that will just hang out in the middle of your muscle cell. And once you start resistance training, once you start contracting that muscle very hard and depleting glycogen out of that muscle, GLUT4 will actually move from the middle of the muscle cell to the cell wall. So now it's on the outside and it opens a figurative door for glucose to come in without the presence of insulin. So we can deposit dietary carbohydrates, so your intra-workout shake, your post-workout shake into our muscle cell without even insulin being present and GLUT4 is actually one way type 2 diabetics actually absorb their carbohydrates and increase their insulin sensitivity with resistance training. Okay. So when we get an elevation of glycogen synthase and elevation of insulin sensitivity and an elevation in GLUT4 translocation, we can get in maximum amount of carbohydrates and put them in the post-workout area for four to six hours. and distributed across several meals to make sure that we're optimizing our post-workout nutrition because pre-workout nutrition starts when the last workout ends.
0: Okay, okay. So I'm getting a little bit of a mental picture here, which is what your layman's terms usually do for me, Dan. So what I'm gathering here with this glycogen synthase, the insulin sensitivity, the glute 4 translocation is that the body is saying, okay, from the stimulus that I've just coped with, I need to do all these little bits and pieces to replenish and maximize a system that I'm gonna to have to potentially repeat
2: again. Exactly. That's exactly right.
0: And that the glycogen is the and the carbohydrate is the primary fuel yeah. for that system.
2: Yep. Yeah. What's driving performance is glycogen status within the skeletal muscle, especially for resistance training, but also especially for athletics too. I mean athletes and Heavy resistance trainees should be getting in adequate carbohydrates if getting the greatest training quality and greatest stimulus and greatest gains is something that they're interested in doing. Okay,
1: Dan, before you move on from there, mate, the the glycogen synthase, insulin sensitivity, GLUT4, all cool, all bubbling away at the top of the uh, uh, skeletal muscle uh, cell. Um, carbohydrates outside of that four to six hour window – uh, still make it still makes it into uh, glycogen, uh, can be stored as uh, glycogen skeletal muscle, or I understand nutrient partitioning, the potential to go to adipose tissue as opposed to skeletal muscle is greater, but um, what happens to carbohydrates uh, outside of that four to six hour window?
2: Well, outside, so it depends on the volume and intensity of the workout, right? The yep. harder the workout, the greater increases in glycogen synthase upregulation, insulin sensitivity, and GLUT4 translocation we're going to get. But this happens for the four to six hour window. and We can shuttle all these carbohydrates into the muscle cell. But outside of this four to six hour window, you decrease the rate at which you Uptake these carbohydrates into the muscle cell and you also potentially Reduce the nutrient partitioning effect of going into the muscle cell and this is due to Inflammation it's been shown in two well-controlled studies that delayed onset muscle soreness causes insulin resistance in skeletal muscle so if we do a hard hard workout with for our legs today and then Tomorrow we have a really really high carb breakfast and our legs are really really sore Mm-hmm. Odds are that the nutrient partitioning effect is decreased by that point due to inflammation and that the rate of glycogen replenishment is devastatingly decreased. Okay.
1: okay. So glycogen resynthesis occurs at a lesser rate, takes longer, still happens. What um, I guess what I'm trying to establish for myself and Tom and our listener, uh, you know, on those scenarios where we don't get those carbohydrates in in that four to six hour window for whatever reason, is it game over? Don't even bother eating carbs after that? Or it will occur, but uh, it'll take longer, or uh, should we yeah, have occur, less carbohydrates? Yeah, it will occur, but it'll take a
2: lot longer. And so here's what I would have to say to that. It does occur, but it will take longer, and this actually is a problem. So some people will say, you know, well, it's still gonna occur, it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, if you do shoulders today and chest tomorrow, and arms the day after that, you just hit triceps three days in a row, you know? And, and if we're doing a long, drastic glycogen replenishment protocol after each and every workout, my head will say, why don't we optimize this process and get carbohydrates where there should be so we're covering quicker and more effectively after each subsequent training session so that my triceps are more prepared day in and day out.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. We're talking about optimal performance here. Sure. We're, we're, we're trying to get ahead of the curve. So in terms of the, that part of recovery after resistance training, Dan, where it's all about the, the fuel source, the glycogen for subsequent workouts, what about the recovery process in terms of the actual thickening and the strengthening of the individual muscle fibers that's gonna that's build muscle and
1: growth? What, what's happening there? So the protein amino acid side of things. Yeah
2: yeah it's mainly two things and it can they're described as the fractional synthetic rate and the fractional breakdown rate um this is the process in which we measure the rate at which protein synthesis occurs so protein synthesis is just the creation of protein on the muscle cell so protein synthesis you can look at it as gains and protein breakdown is catabolic so it's the muscle tissue actually breaking down and there's two curves that are throughout that happen throughout the day. It's the fractional synthetic rate, measuring the rate at which you build muscle mass, and the fractional breakdown rate, measuring the rate at which you're breaking tissue down. And these are two different rates. So just because you're doing one doesn't mean you're fighting the other. And when it comes to the fractional synthetic rate, The way in which to optimize recovery in this respect is to have 24 hour or your best shot at 24 hour amino acid availability in the bloodstream. Because when we have a hard training session, we're recovering from that training session in the muscles that we trained anywhere from two to four days. So since this is a two to four day process, we also know what's happening 24 hours a day. Mm. And since the fractional synthetic rate requires amino acids in order to build muscle mass, we also know that in order to optimize that rate of growth, we should be getting amino acids in 24 hours a day so that we're both optimizing the fractional synthetic rate, the rate of growth, and we're also optimizing the rate of breakdown as well. So we're preventing tissue breakdown and we're optimizing tissue growth. Now, here's the thing about the fractional synthetic rate is it will steal from yourself. And here's what I mean by that. So if we did a really, really hard squat workout today on our legs and we demolished our legs, and you're getting in protein, say, every three to five hours. So you have a steadily available stream of amino acids coming in through the bloodstream that are feeding this synthetic rate. But then you take a break and say, let's say you don't eat for eight, nine hours, seven, it's whatever it's going to be. Yep. and you, Amino acids aren't available in the bloodstream. Your body is going to prioritize your your gains in your legs will increase but your net protein balance will not. So this is something that's known as protein distribution. Mm. So if you did a hard squat workout today, your body's gonna say, okay, well Tom didn't have a meal for the last five hours. My legs still really need recovery right now. So I haven't used this rear delt in a few days and this is kind of an unimportant muscle anyways. I'm going to take from this rear delt and put it into my legs in order to maximize the recovery of my legs. So in this scenario, we actually made progress on the legs, but we didn't have a net increase in muscle mass because it redistributed because we weren't feeding the synthetic rate. Mm-hmm. That makes okay. perfect sense. It does make yeah, sense. It sort
0: of explains how, you know, frequency to a certain body part can bring that up because that's the
1: priority during the actual phase of, rec- uh, of recovery. Yep. With uh, both the glycogen synthesis post-workout to fuel the training, uh, essentially the pre-workout for the next training session, and the, uh, the amino, acid, uh, in it, amino acids in that 24-hour uh, to feed that uh, fractional synthetic rate, are there some numbers that you like to work with? Uh, I know uh, the Henselmans of the world uh, can go as low as 1.6 grams per kilo um you know others more around the 2.2 grams per kilo like are there some numbers that you like to work with that you see the best results and then is it just a matter of getting that in within that 24-hour period or does it have to be ideally uh split up uh you drip know fed drip fed throughout that 24-hour period because i also know that uh, the mTOR signaling requires a certain amount of protein per meal so um Number per kilo, uh, if you do use one, and you have to have a certain amount of protein per meal, and is it better to sort of uh, have it more consistently, or can you have in that twenty-four hour period the right amount of protein, but the meals slightly further apart, as long as the the net protein for the twenty-four hour period is is where it needs to be?
2: Okay, so. That is a multi-answer question <laughs> it kind of <laughs> depends on your dedication. I'm going to try and tackle that five-part question you just threw out. Yeah, look, you <laughs> know, I,
1: I was on a roll, mate, you know, and uh, <laughs> I woke up for a second and that's what happens.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so where to begin? So when it comes to the recommendation per day, 2.2 grams per kilo. And you can go down to 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilo. Um, I really like that range. Um, That range is there based on body fat percentage. So if somebody, say, is 30% body fat at 200 pounds, they're going to require less protein than somebody who's... 5% Five percent body fat at 200 pounds. So the guy who's at a higher percentage of body fat is going to be at more around the 1.8 mark. Where a guy's a lower percent of body fat is going to be more in the 2.2 mark. Okay. But having said that, I mean we're picking hairs here. When people are arguing about 1.8 to 2.0 grams per kilo, man, <laughs> yeah. we're talking we're talking about like less than a chicken breast per day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I am in the school of thought where just have it. Um, that okay. that's a fantastic safety net at 2.2 grams per per kilo. Yeah. Um, you're getting in more than you need potentially yep. in order to optimize the body composition process. And it's also been shown to not be unsafe at all to do this. Correct. Yeah. Almost everybody has the appetite to do this. And uh, a lot of other specialists in the field are with me on this one, where okay. 2.2 grams per kilo or 1 gram per pound of body weight. It's an old-school recommendation, but research has caught up with it, and it's a fantastic recommendation for everybody. Beautiful. And one I've used with my pro athletes been proven in the field. So okay. it's something that I, uh, I definitely subscribe to as far as a daily total. Sounds now, good. as far as the distribution, Um, It differs between younger people and older people as far as the genetic stimulus and mTOR signaling that you were discussing. Yep. So there's a couple of things to say to that. So number one is creating that protein synthesis response from the meal is different from older people to younger people. Younger people get a protein synthesis response anywhere from 20 to 25 grams in a meal of high quality protein and older people seem to need about 35 to 40 grams per meal in order to get that same protein synthesis response, but their daily totals don't change. So if an older guy is yes. is uh, say 60, whatever, 55, then and he's 200 pounds, um, then he's going to have 200 grams of protein per day. And yep. a younger guy who's 20 years old and 200 pounds, he's going to have 200 grams of protein per day. So the daily totals don't change, but the amount you need to have per meal does change. So something to do for the older crowd would be to decrease your meal frequency. Since your daily total doesn't change, only have three meals per day or maybe four. So then you hit 40 grams of protein per meal, each and every meal. Whereas the younger people have a little bit more flexibility. You don't need to only have 20 to 25 grams of protein per meal. Have it, you can go up to 40 or 50 or whatever, whatever have you. But I would suggest a minimum meal frequency of four to six meals per day if you're looking at optimizing things. Now, when it comes to the leucine threshold, there's a lot of good research on the leucine threshold, but it seems to be lower than some people would suggest. There's research that shows as low as 1.8 grams of leucine will stimulate protein synthesis. Okay. And But the general recommendation that seems to be thrown around a lot is three grams. So yeah. take from that what you will. But you know, when you see, these these charts, you'll see a bunch of proteins rated on a chart, you know, whey, chicken, beef, uh, casein, whatever it is, yeah. and, uh, and on the right... Uh, On the right column of the chart, it'll say the amount of leucine that's in each protein source. mm -hmm. And it's important to understand that these protein sources and these charts that you see that show the amount of leucine that's in a protein, that's simply a chart that's showing the amount of leucine that's within a protein. It is not what protein is the best. Because we've seen hemp protein actually beat whey protein in research more than once. We've seen these different blips where the higher leucine protein isn't creating the greater body composition change over a long-term period. So it's not just about the leucine content. We're starting to see that there's more to protein than just leucine. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. So don't uh, don't uh, get too caught up in the. Well, I need to have at least twenty five grams of protein for that meal. I could go down to twenty. Um, that sh- you know will most likely be more than enough uh, to stimulate anabolism.
2: Right. And, and and no need to supplement with leucine either. The only yeah. time I would suggest perhaps a leucine supplement would be for an older crowd who's having a harder time. Um, stimulating protein synthesis because there is a ton of research that shows leucine has a type of negative feedback loop and ha- offers no additional changes in body composition, strength, or fat loss over a long-term period. Mm. Okay.
0: okay. Cool, cool, cool. Good to know. All right, Dan, so we've got, uh, obviously, glycogen and protein are very important to recovery from physical activity. What else have we got to factor in to uh, optimize... Yeah. What's going on?
2: Well, there's plenty of, there's plenty of sources of fatigue. Um, um, there's a phosphocreatine depletion. You know, phosphocreatine is the first line for energy substrate use in anaerobic conditions. So in high-intensity activities or resistance training, once again. Yep. You know, what does this mean for you guys? Well, it's the first line of energy substrate use in the gym. Phosphocreatine intramuscular storage plays a critical role in performance for athletes. And although we create our own natural creatine every day, actually everybody creates about one gram of creatine naturally per day. Mm. It's wise to supplement you know, as well to maximize the amount of available creatine you have to both delay fatigue and increase your force output. So to offset phosphocreatine depletion, which is a very real thing a lot of people don't talk about, um, supplement with creatine monohydrate to maximum availability and intramuscular storage. Um, ensure there's no premature exhaustion of phosphocreatine as well. So prior to strength training, um, no like heavy conditioning should be performed or anaerobic activities or competition or whatever it's going to be. You don't want to deplete your creatine before you're trying to use it. Yep. And well, this, if you want to optimize the session, I should say that, Yep. Um, and improvements in conditioning. I mean, the more work capacity you have, the greater creatine repletion that you're going to have as well. So okay. phosphocreatine, de- Depletion is one source. Glycogen depletion is another one, and we've kind of already hammered that one home. Yep. Um, strategies to offset this, of course, this is a major contributor to fatigue. I would, I would actually say. Like when it comes to the training aspect and athletes, that substrate depletion is really like the number one aspect of fatigue creation in athletes and in these guys. Mm. And I mean, to offset this is proper meal plan design and good peri-workout supplementation strategies. You know, high glycemic index carbohydrates get crapped on by some people, but high glycemic index carbohydrates have been shown not only to have a quicker rate of glycogen replenishment, but also a more complete rate of like glyc- a more complete total storage. Of glycogen replenishment. Mm. So, high glycemic index carbohydrates are definitely valuable during and after training for a lot of reasons that kind of go outside the scope of the recovery only conversation. Maybe we can tackle that peri workout nutrient timing issue in a later discussion. Mm -hmm. But um, that's glycogen depletion is definitely another one. Um, Metabolic byproducts are a source of fatigue as well. Um, Lactic acid is a byproduct of anaerobic work. And although most people believe lactic acid is responsible for fatigue in all types of exercise, lactic acid accumulates within the muscle fiber only after relatively brief you know, high intensity muscular effort. You know, okay, so take for example, marathon runners. They have near resting levels of lactic acid at the end of a marathon despite their fatigue. Their yes. fatigue is more of a result of inadequate energy supply as opposed to a rise in blood lactate. So strategies here to delay the inevitable when it comes to lactate and hydrogen ion increase which cause with both of those cause the burning that you feel in your muscle. Strategies to offset this would be creatine monohydrate, proper amount of electrolytes in your body during and after exercise and before exercise and also beta alanine. They've all been shown to act as a buffer and delay the onset of this lactate and lactic acid accumulation within the body.
1: Okay, uh, the beta-alanine uh, getting a shoe in the door there as well
2: uh, yeah. with the creatine. Beta-alanine, is worth mentioning That beta-alanine. Beta-alanine is only really worth using if you're performing high-intensity activity exceeding 60 seconds. Yeah. So it's not going to help you on those short sets. Uh, yeah. It's going to only help you if you're doing longer sets or if like you're a 400-meter track guy or a swimmer. High-intensity for a longer durations where beta-alanine shines. Okay. Yeah, okay.
1: And the, the telltale sign there basically load up on beta alanine to if you, you, f- you want to pull the face off and yes. then uh, you're good to go. Or <laughs> yeah <pull> yeah. <laughs> I <agree. I'll> <laughs> Scratch that. the face off. <laughs> yeah Yeah <laughs> But I can do I can do sixty five seconds of workload. Yeah. The um what's your do you have any grams per kilo or anything? I mean the career team for our listeners, uh, you know, I usually tell my guys five grams five days and then a gram a day type thing uh for creatine what about the the beta alanine do you have any recommendations there for our listener
2: anywhere from three to six grams a day you can actually have it all at once but if you don't want to get the tingles from it you can separate it in small doses throughout the day and get the same result oh wow okay excellent very yeah. good and uh moving on to other recovery strat i mean uh sources of fatigue here yes one i wanted to mention is uh it's not talked about a lot is heat and muscle temperature So exercising in excessive heat increases carbohydrate utilization and will speed up your glycogen depletion. So if you're training in a hot environment, you're going to speed up the rate at which you deplete glycogen. And it's been hypothesized throughout sports science that increased muscle temperatures impair both muscle function and muscle metabolism. So things like enzyme catalysts and stuff like that. And exercising in temperatures of 11 to 21 degrees Celsius show the greatest performance benefits, and exercising below 4 degrees Celsius or above 31 creates the quickest times to fatigue, Mm. all right? So I mean strategies to offset that are pretty straightforward, (laughs) you know, training in a boiling hot environment or the freezing cold does not toughen you up, unless you're Rocky Balboa, in that case it does. But for everybody else, it's a poor strategy for improving performance, will detract from the quality of your training session, and is going to take away from the rate of progress you could otherwise be making. Okay, very sure. good, good. And good. Uh, another one is uh, neuromuscular fatigue. Yes. So, w- when we look just at substrate availability, we kind of shield ourselves from other contributors to fatigue, you know, such as neuromuscular conditions. Yes. Uh, fatigue can result as an inability to activate muscle fibers. So before the carbohydrates, okay. before these other things, if we have an inability to activate muscle fibers, which is a function of the nervous system and the neuromuscular junction, then we have an issue before we have a substrate issue. You know what I mean. This is the issue yes. before the issue. Yep. And decreased potassium, sodium, and calcium levels can cause neuromuscular issues. So that's important to be on top of your electrolyte balance. Okay.
1: okay. okay. And uh, I think we mentioned uh, with uh, carbohydrates uh, on a previous segment, Dan, that you know having the, uh, the you know the dextrose or, yes. or glucose or, or a high GI carb pre-training will actually uh, Uh, neural drive uh, fuel the nervous system yeah the nervous system will perform a little better if you do have uh, glycogen in the blood glucose in the bloodstream I should say
2: Yeah, for sure. All these things that I'm saying here, they are nitpicky, but they're nitpicky because I want the listeners of this podcast to perform at the best of their potential. Mm -hmm. And muscle glycogen fuels muscle contraction, but blood glucose is the preferred fuel source in the nervous system. So we're delaying both local muscular fatigue and nervous system fatigue with the carbohydrate strategies that I'm offering here today. Very good. Yeah, very good.
0: Okay. So we're looking at that as a bit of an overview and you can... um, Feeling in anything else that, that needs to be said here Dan so we're looking at the right timing of uh, carbohydrates and protein yep so that that's critical for the recovery and also to fuel performance mm-hmm. um, you know we're looking at the sort the different sources of uh, fatigue that go on and how we can mm-hmm. sort of support mm-hmm. that and obviously electrolytes creatine uh, adequate hydration and the beta alanine come into that one as well yep mm-hmm. and apart from those Uh, performance systems and the muscular system obviously looking after the actual neural drive and and how the the brain and the nervous system are firing all those muscles is what comes into play there as well so anything else you would chuck into that one dan
2: um that's that's a pretty darn good overview um that that aside from that would be training in a suitable environment because that muscle temperature is important yeah 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 okay well, because
1: I, uh, I often uh, I'm I'm quite high performance Dan and I often run at a high temperature and I do struggle in the uh, hotter weather just yes. to just to breathe. So um, <laughs> training well and truly uh, is a challenge. But
2: uh, well, well, don't tell me you get uncrisp. Well, uh, look, yeah, I have
1: been known to be a little uncrisp at times, but yeah. uh, generally I'm <laughs> crisp. Actually,
2: that's a source of fatigue. Yes, <laughs> uncrisp. That, that's a, that's very a technical m- a note, source Tom. of fatigue make, that we forgot to mention. Yes, yes. uncrisp. be are feeling yeah, uncrisp. un-crisp fatigue
1: <laughs> i was gonna say dan um just before we wrap this one up uh, you mentioned hydration you know about to train oh geez i forgot to uh, drink water for the last uh, couple of days uh, I'll, I'll scull a glass of water that gonna get me out of the woods and uh, get me over the line or is it we really do have to make sure the hydration has been happening leading up to the event or or the training session you c- can you nip it in the bud with a uh you know a, a glass of water before you train or not
2: uh no uh, hydration does have to be taken care of throughout the day um a lot, once again doing something is better than doing nothing so yeah, yeah like if, if you weren't drinking water i'd be like yeah dude get that water in you yep. before you get there because that's going to help do something okay but hydration pre-planning hydration is really really important i actually wrote a whole paper on this for alan aragon's research review um Very good. i did a hydration paper on the connection between hydration electrolytes and athletic performance. And I did a big write up on it there and pre-planning your strategies is really, really important because you can lose two quarts of water per hour through sweat, but you can only maximally absorb one quart. So if you are coming into the workout dehydrated and then you're already going to exceed your sweat rate versus hydration rate, you're, you're digging a ditch.
1: It's interesting that that not only uh, it's it's you know for and again you're you're nitpicking here but for penultimate performance it really is Aside from the, you know, consuming... Because I think everyone generally will get enough protein and they seem to obsess about protein. And if anything, most of uh, the listeners to this podcast would, would consume more than enough there. But really, if they're looking at performance, it's the, the window of carbohydrates. It's, it's high GI at certain times. It's making sure the sleep's happening. You know, we've got to make sure sleep's good for the performance the next day. The, the But the hydration as well. Like, it really is, you know, if you really want to get the most out of the gym, you know, there is... Uh, it's a little different than taking a couple hundred... Gr- milligrams of caffeine and uh or a pre-workout and uh you know hoping for the best you know if you're looking at performance you really do need to look at everything in that that synergistically working together the big picture
2: yeah the big picture is really important because these big picture items can decrease your performance independent of the other big picture items mm. you know if, if you've slept poorly you're not going mm. your yeah. to perform regardless of your diet if you're dehydrated you're not going to perform regardless of your diet you yeah, know okay. if you have a deficiency potassium sodium calcium You're not going to perform, regardless of what everything else is going on. Yeah, very good. Um, There's a lot of things here that will decrease your performance. You know, if your if your glycogen's depleted, if your phosphocreatine's depleted, these things will decrease your performance, irrespective of everything else that's going on. Mm. So it's a a big picture view is absolutely important. Mm. Yes,
0: very good. It's the performance. uh, It's the Dan Garner performance matrix. Mm. Mm. You can can (laughs) copyright that that one. I like it. it. Yes. Yes, yes. All right, Dan. Right. Well, I think that's uh, that's fantastic, that's mate. Well done. Uh, another one bites the dust. There it was, uh, Dan Garner, mm-hmm. strength coach and nutrition specialist. Find him on Facebook, listen to him on our podcast, and he'll be back for one more segment yep. in the uh, Recovery Extravaganza. There he was, Dan Garner. Mm. The really fascinating stuff there, Roden. He takes the angle of it's not just you know recovery from the sense of sleeping well and giving yourself time to recover, but actually getting the glycogen in, you know, yeah. recovering glycogen stores, yeah. you know, doing these specific
1: things yeah. to improve performance. We well, are actually uh, preparing for the next session straight after your yes. previous session. Yes.
0: Yes. So his post-workout shake is this actually is the pre-workout. Workout. Very, yeah, good. Very good. Very good.
1: Yeah, and I, I think also just that um, that holistic, synergistic approach where, uh, you know, everything's got to be there uh, with all the other things that he covered, but then uh, don't miss the really obvious stuff as well. Yep. Of, you know, that workout window, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you, Dan.
0: Uh, so that's the, our episode. We've got, um, I guess we're changing the show format up a fraction yep. we're going to have these little uh, itty bitty shows followed yeah. up with a feature interview yep. and uh, that next episode coming out next week which is uh, really exciting yeah. we've got Dr. John Crisler yeah, really uh, good. from allthingsmail.com
1: and he's got a really really cool interview and uh, best, a hilarious story the that, best uh,
0: story ever told on the history of the podcast yeah it's it, a good one it's Do-zi. fantastic so uh, thanks very much for listening to the program send us an email through to info at underthebarpodcast.com <sighs>